I have a few definitions for God for you. Uh, last week, pastors are notorious for hyperbole. I said that there was over 100 different names of God in the Bible. I think there's over 30. I'm not quite sure about 100. I exaggerate a little bit here and there. Makes for better stories. <laughs> Probably over 30 different names of God. So I'm going to show you a few. The first one is L. So if you want to follow, you don't have fill-ins, but if you want to write this down, L is a name of God. L is a very basic name of God. It's a, almost like it's a generic name. And sometimes in the scriptures, it's, it is the capital G. It's referring, it's referring to a big God, L. And sometimes it's lowercase g. It's God or gods. And even L translates in, transfers into actually the Canaanite religions as well. There's a bad guy named Baal. He's a, he's a fertility god. But from our vantage point from scriptures, L is a generic name for God. And sometimes in the scriptures, it is used to minister to us for specific needs. For example, sometimes L is attached to other attributes of God to show us that God cares about us or to define and describe who God is. El Elyon translates as the Lord Most High. Elohim is mighty or the strong one. Sometimes you need some might in your life. Sometimes you need some strength. Elohim is there. El Roy is the God that sees, probably more specifically the God that sees you. El Shaddai, the God who is sufficient for all of your needs. Amen? Like you got some needs, you're like you're you're in lack right now. You have an El Shaddai. Jehovah Elohim is the creator God. He can create something beautiful out of your life. And it goes on and on. And there's other. There's, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a, a word study challenge. So sometimes, it, even in biblical names, you have an L associated with it. One of the famous cities in, in Israel, it is where Jacob was, was, uh, had the vision of an open heaven, of the escalator scene, of angels going up and down the escalator. You know that from cartoons? That took place at Bethel. Bethel which literally translates into the house of God. Pastor Michael Jones is a little obsessed about the book of Samuel right now. He is uh, petitioning that to be our next book that we study, but he's in confrontation with Pastor Manny, Mandy, who wants to study the book of Ruth. So, but anyway, Samuel. So you got Sam, and then you add God to the end of it. L, Samuel. Kind of cool, right? So next, when you're reading your scriptures, look out for the L's. Look out for the little nuances of God in between the lines or tacked on before or at the end of a name. Makes your reading come a little richer. Uh, we are in the biography of Yahweh, of course. It's the cover of your, of your uh, bulletin, Y-H-W-H. If you put in the vowels, it sounds like Yahweh. This is... Probably the clearest definition is Lord. And we see the introduction to Lord, Yahweh, 
at the burning bush where God's, when Moses was like, what? You're real? You're calling me into this? Where you, you, I'm stepping into sacred space, and you have me on mission? You want me to reach your people? Like, who do I say that you are? And you know the response, I am. So Yahweh is, again, he is this very personal deity that is shrouded in mystery, and he wants to be known by you. Likewise, he wants to know you. Are you known by God? Jehovah is another name for God. Maybe you've had these guys knock on your door. <laughs> okay. Jehovah is another interpretation of our Yahweh. It's the same word. It's potato, potato, tomato, tomato. It's, it's the very same word. And so where we get this term Jehovah, it sounds really cool, like Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah. You know, we come up with all these other great Jehovah names. But it is literally a Christian interpretation of, by Germans, because Germans can't say Yahweh, because they're German. So they, they, they came up, so their interpretation was Jehovah, and we've interpreted it. There's nothing wrong with saying Jehovah. Yahweh isn't better. It's just the same word, the same meaning. But again, I want to show you what it's, well, why it's there. And then the next one, I almost feel it's very tender and it's very sweet. It's Adonai. And if you've ever heard rabbis read Scripture, that's the word that they use from God. And once again, it is another translation or iteration of Yahweh. This is what I want, this is one of the major points of the message today, is that there is such a reverence and a fear and an honoring of the Lord that the ancients couldn't say God's name. That's why we get this YHWH. They felt, they felt like they couldn't say his name, declare it out loud. And there's, there's spiritual truth to that, for sure. And then when they made the, the YHWH, fancy word for it, it's the Tetragrammatron, sorry. Um, they, they, they would fill in the words, and so some of them would say Yahweh. And this is what's so sweet about this. They're like, that's just getting too close. That's almost a little too familiar. And so they made a workaround. They moved some letters around, and they have a, this little workaround, and they came up with Adonai. It's like a placeholder for Yahweh. So whenever you hear the word Adonai, it's basically Yahweh. It's but they're saying it out of reverence for the name of God. They don't want to do anything. They don't, they, don't even, they don't even want to say anything that would offend a holy God. Amen? In our culture, we have a, we've got a very crude last name that we've given God, a very impolite name that we've give, last name that we've given God. Think about it for a second. Just think about how sailors talk. Okay. And then this one, maybe you haven't heard before, 
It is a New Testament. You know, we have a lot of New Testament names for God, I mean, like Jesus and Yeshua and, and, the, and the like. This is more of a theological explanation of who God is. And specifically, as we see the understanding of who Jesus is, and we see the understanding of who, who the Holy Spirit is, we see the, the beginnings and, and the truth of the Trinity, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's basically four scriptures in the New Testament, and Paul's a big part of it, where they come up with this description of who God is, and it's what we call the Godhead. The Godhead, okay, it's not one big giant head floating in the sky. It is, <laughs> it's not one big... It's not a big talking head. It is the nature, the character, the attributes, the expressions, the doings of a good, all-powerful, all-knowing God that is wrapped up into three in the Trinity. So we call it the Godhead. And it is, as Christians... This is what we need to be going after. So, now after I've defined those few things, uh, I'm going to read a famous sermon. And that's why I define Godhead, because it's in this sermon. It has been said that the proper study of mankind is man. Okay, the proper study of mankind is to study man. Good doy, right? I believe that it is equally true that the proper study of God is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. Studying the nature and the character, the will, attributes, actions of God. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which we can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God in whom he, you, I call Father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in contemplation of divinity. Should I say it again? Your mind will be improved when you're focusing and meditating on God day and night. It is a subject so vast that all of our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in infinity. Other subjects we can grapple with. In them we feel a kind of self-content and go our way with the thought of, Behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought that vain man would be wise. 
but he is like a wild ass with the solemn explanation, I am but of yesterday and I know nothing. Uh, there's a modern expression of this. It's that really cheesy song from the 70s called Dust in the Wind. No subject of contemplation will ever tend more to humble the mind than the thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and Him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. Nothing will ever so enlarge the intellect. Nothing will magnify the soul of a man as a devout, earnest, continual investigation into the great subject of the deity. Oh, there is in contemplating Jesus Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a relief for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is medicine for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go. Plunge yourself into the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in His immensity, and you shall come forth from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swallowing billows of sorrow and grief, so to speak peace to the winds of trial and to devout musings upon the subject of the Godhead. It is to that subject that I invite you into this morning. This is from a famous preacher called Charles Spurgeon. And he wrote these words and preached these words when he was 20 years old. What were you doing when you were 20? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what I was doing when I was 20. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interpret this sermon because uh, 100 years ago it applied. It applies today to our culture now more than ever. What is he saying? What, the gist of it is, is the knowledge of God is the ultimate goal. It is our ultimate expression, in essence, of who we are. Now, I have become an expert about myself. I spend, if I'm not careful, if I am not careful, I can spend too much time thinking about myself. I can even think about myself thinking about myself. I spend way too much time trying to figure myself out, trying to find myself, 
figure out what makes me tick, spend money on counseling. I'll get back to that. I want to encourage you to go with one caveat. I've spent a lot of time figuring out me. Self-help books, enrichment classes, Myers-Briggs. What's that new one out? The Instagram thing? I haven't done that yet. That looks like witchcraft to me. <laughs> this is weird. Like, I don't, anyway. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> Despite all the time that I have spent upon myself, am I any better? Actually, the more introspective I get, the worse I get. Now, not only am I an expert upon myself, not only do I spend too much time thinking about me, I also spend too much time thinking about you. I am also a self-fashioned expert on everyone else. I know what's wrong with you. And I know exactly how to get you to straighten up. <laughs> I've become an expert on society. I know exactly what's wrong with society, and if they would just listen to me, we could fix it, right? We've become ex experts on everything. Now, here's the truth. If I become an expert about myself and I'm just focusing all inwardly about my self-reflection and get really narcissistic, well, it's just going to make me sicker. And if I spend all my time worrying about all of your problems and how jacked up you are, obsessing about all the evil things that other people do, well, it's just going to make my perception of people even worse than it actually is. And if I spend all my time trying to fix all the brokenness of this world and thinking that I have all the, the humanistic answers to all of life's problems, well, they're not going to get any better. And in fact, if I apply some principles, it's going to get worse. It always does whenever we take man's way to find out how to fix God's problems. Only God can fix these problems. The idea that Mr. Spurgeon is trying to communicate. If you want to be a better self, don't focus on yourself. Study God. It's what we call theology. Theology is the study of God. It's got to be one of the most boring words. Like if I, you probably, your mind is probably just shut off right now when I said theology. Like, oh, I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to study God. I don't want to go after theology. I would rather study myself. It's more interesting. Don't study yourself. Study God. Last week, I talked about the importance of going into an experiential relationship with God. Yeah? Again, Yahweh is very personal. He wants to be not just here in the house of the Lord. He also wants to go home and be in your house. And he wants to be in your heart. And he wants to be involved in every aspect, in every nook and cranny of your life. He's just kind of that jealous God type that wants to be involved. Talked about religious experience, right? 
They marked me. And I used this incredible illustration of me being in a relationship with my wife. You guys remember this? The Mako for Dummies book? So, okay, so we can have a book, and we do have a book, and it tells us everything that we know about God. I can have a book that can tell me everything about Mako, right? I can have information, I can have knowledge. But that does not mean that I am in relationship with my wife. Just because I have the book and I have information doesn't mean I'm in relationship, yeah? Okay? Does not mean, just because I know how she ticks, doesn't mean that I'm hugging her. Doesn't mean that we're having a conversation. Um, doesn't mean that we're talking to one another in heated moments or in loving moments. And this is what God, He desires this for us. See, He, in, he desires a true communication with his children, not just information, but communication. Can we all get on board with that? That's the kind of relationship I want with God. I don't want information. I want connection. Now, on the other side of the coin, on the other side of the the encounter coin, the, the relationship, the experiential aspect of who God is, the same, think about, again, think about uh, the relationship with a loved one. Better yet, think, think about when you were dating. Do you dare go back that far in your minds? I am so glad I'm not dating anymore. Young people, this one's for you. This is a, a good message for you guys today. If you are in the dating category, listen up. And some of us, when I tell this story, this illustration, we can relate because we've been there, done that. Remember when you went on a date? Or think about this if you're going to go on a date. Remember when you went on a date with that person that you thought that you liked? And you go out to dinner, and they spend the entire dinner talking about themselves. They don't ask you any questions about what you like, what you do, your family. Most likely they forgot your first name, let them know, know your middle name. Or they're maybe a little handsy, like all they want to do is just make out, right? But there's no conversation. They just want to go, they want to go uh, straight from dinner into intimacy, but they don't want to, they don't want to talk about it, right? They don't want to, they don't want to get to know you. They just want to be intimate with you. Does it guys? If you go on a date and all they're doing is talking about themselves, or all they want to do is just get physical, that's your sign. They're not into you. They're into themselves. Yeah? Okay. You see the other side of the coin here. When you go into a relationship with somebody, you become a student of that person. You get, not only do you want to have a conversation, but you want to get to know them better, know them deeper. You want to know what makes them click. I am an expert on Mako. I do have the the Mako for Dummies book. In fact, I have my PhD in Makoology. I even give myself my own grades. I I have straight A's. (laughs) 
likewise. God wants to move you not only into an experiential relationship, He wants to move you into knowing Him better and studying Him, the, the Godhead. Probably one of the biggest problems inside of American Christianity, we've been conditioned and trained and wired in such a way that our approach to God is, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this relationship? How, how, does, this, how does this relationship with God um, help me understand myself better? A lot of us go into a relationship with God, kind of like we go into a relationship with dating, and we spend way too much time talking about ourselves when we should be asking God questions. When we should be trying to spend that energy and understanding who He is and trying to figure it instead of saying, oh, God, let me tell you more about what's going on in my life. Let me tell you more, God, about what I'm upset about. Let me tell you more, God, about why I'm upset with you. God, maybe I can, maybe you'll, maybe I can forgive you now for all these things in my life. I, I, that's basically saying, God, I'm just not into you. I'm just into your stuff. Does that make sense? If it's not the self-help Christianity trap that we've fallen into, it is, well, frankly, from going from one religious experience to another religious experience. We're always seeking that constant high with the Lord. You want the electricity, you want the shocks, you want the prophecies, you want the weirdness. And let me clarify, I think weird is good, by the way. But you want all of you want all of the glitter but you don't want the information. You don't want the knowledge. And just like a dating relationship that is just going after the physical experience, a dating relationship like that with somebody, you're going into a relationship with somebody that's shallow. Don't be a shallow Christian. Go deep in the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Get to know Him on a deeper level. I'm excited about getting to know more about God. I guess you could say I know enough to, get to be dangerous, but I don't know nearly enough. If anybody ever presents themselves to you as being an expert on God, well, I I disconnect. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Know that somebody that is humbly going after God and is even willing to say, I don't, I, I'm, I'm in love with the Word of God, but I don't understand everything. I'm just embracing the mystery of it. Like, those are the type of people that you want to be around. I want to encourage you when, you when you get your Bibles and you open them up, Maybe even be mindful about what's your motivation in opening it up. There was a, there's, there is a, a, a documentary on Netflix right now 
and it's called The Marketing of Jesus. I don't think that they're on our side. I got, I got a little bit into it. It's, you know, it's well done. It's interesting. And they made a statement about Christians, about us, about our brothers and sisters that made me mad. Like, what? Like, I just I got angry when they, when they made that statement. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe there's some truth to this. Sometimes the Lord will use the ungodly to be our prophets. We've seen that in the theme of Jeremiah and throughout the entire scripture. He will use other people to call us out on our own stuff. And what these scholars were saying in this documentary was that most American Christians don't understand their own Bibles. They, they, and again, this is secular people saying this about ourselves. Again, so I'm a little defensive, but at the same time, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's some truth to that. It says, most Christians don't understand the major themes of the Scripture. If you're going to this church and you've been paying attention, you ought to know the major themes by now. You ought to understand what's going on from cover to cover. He says, most people, most American Christians, they, they open up the book for inspiration, for self-help, to be inspired in the moment. They're going through a rough thing, so they open it up. Now, like I said, when I read the names of God, El Shaddai, El Roy, uh, God, God your provider, God your healer, absolutely, 100%, God is there to meet you and to meet your needs. Why? Because he cares for you and he loves you. But we do have to disconnect from this idea that the scriptures are a self-help book to help us to get through a difficult situation. They are that, but the primary purpose of your Bible is to show you who God is. And again, if you, if you want that rest that you desire, if you want that breakthrough that you are praying for. If you want to see your family saved. If you want your mind to expand. If you want your soul to enlarge. Well, the only way to do that is to study God. So, resist that urge in opening your Bible to looking for an inspirational thing that's going to get you through the rest of the day. Resist that temptation for the one-time hit. Instead, go on a day-to-day, night-by-night, morning-by-morning journey into the heart of God. Literally lay down your life as a living sacrifice and say, this, this experience is not about me. I'm not the captain of my own ship. When I was at the foot of the cross at Calvary, I gave my life over to God, so I'm not the center of my universe as I thought that I once was. My quest for Godhead is now the center of my universe. We also say it this way, seek first the kingdom of heaven and then all of these things will be added unto you. So what Jesus is saying is that when, you are, when you're going through a hard time, when you're hurting, when you're, when you're at a lack, 
when you're, when you're trying to make ends meet, when you're trying to reconcile, reconcile a relationship. You seek first the kingdom of God. You make him number one priority in your life. And you, again, you're seeking, right? Like you're in it. You're digging deep. And then all of these things, they're going to come. And, and, and they do come. And the answers are provided. There is, there is respite for the soul. There's wholeness to be had. And the Lord is just asking us to do this one simple thing. Quit focusing on our needs and start focusing on Him. He's so good and faithful and so kind to answer our prayers. I have like seven pages of notes. But don't worry, it's okay. Because my dog ate my glasses, and so I had to blow up my notes to like 18 points so that I could read them. So in reality, it's just maybe two pages. No, actually, I'm about done because most of it was Mr. Spurgeon's, Mr. Spurgeon's um, sermon. In our quest to get to know God in this series, getting to know God will expand your life. It, it honestly... The quest and the study of God is the best investment that you can make in your, in your personal life. Um, God is better than you. and just, just to be clear, God's better than you and he's better than anyone else on the planet. And so when we study the best being in the universe that loves and cares for you, well, it just makes it really easy for him to take care of you. Does that make sense? When we see him as our Lord and Savior. One of the attitudes and the positions of our heart should be like what the ancients did. At first glance, when we look at the Jewish scribes and scholars, when they were formulating who God is and when God was revealing himself, either through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, when, when they began to write their experiences of God down into our holy scriptures, one of the key elements that I believe that we lack as Americans is the reverence of God that they had. We don't have it. At first glance, it might be silly to say, wow, they were so superstitious that they wouldn't say Yahweh, so they had to use Adonai instead. No, that, that's reverence to a holy God. So not only is God so immense, He is holy, pure. He is the risk taker that steps into our existence. So powerful, omniscient, like all-knowing, all-powerful, Time it means nothing to him. He's inside of time. He's outside of time. He's in space. He's in our space. He's in your personal space. He's everywhere. And I think we need to start acting like it. 
Like a reverence to God and His name. A reverence to God and what He has done in our lives. How do our lives reflect a reverence to God? Well, bless your heart for being here on Sunday, but I think God's more concerned about what you do on Monday. Again, he wants to be in the every day and every moment. I know that might be difficult for some of us to hear, but he, he does. And I don't know, sometimes, again, we get superstitious about things. They're like, oh, my gosh, it's Sunday, and I can't sin on Sunday, so I'm going to wait till Friday to sin. Whether you sin on Sunday or you sin on Friday, you're still offending a holy God. The offense is still there. So one of the, the attitudes into a deeper journey, into a deeper walk, into the mysteries of who God is, is a really healthy fear of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that God's going to smite you or he's mean or he's angry. He's always ticked off about whatever you're doing. Like, that's not the God I serve. But I serve a God that is powerful and even though that I have gone into a relationship with him where he has given me his body and he has given me his blood, he's given me body for my provision, he's given me his blood for the forgiveness of sins, like I just can't drink the cup out of, out of, out of uh, you know, rote, right? You know what I mean? I know we're doing communion every week. Like we've got to fight against that urge, like, like that religious thing that says, okay, I'm going to do it, I'm going to crack this thing, we're going to do this religious thing. There's power in the name of Jesus. There, there is healing in his body, and there's power in the blood of Jesus. So I think we need to, we, we need to take our relationship with him seriously. I mean, I take my relationship with my wife seriously. Right? I mean, if I had an affair with my wife, not only would that be a bad thing, she would probably kill me. She would torture me before she would kill me. Slowly. Now, that's kind of a crude illustration, but in a sense, that's the way that it is with God. If we're in a, if we're in a, a relationship that is seeking to know them in detail, to become an expert about God. Like, you're never going to be an expert about God, but that should be the journey, yeah? Like, why not? And, and to go into a relationship with God that is, that is more communicative is, is so vital. And once again, getting away from this thing as being your self-help book about you discovering who you are. Instead, what is this book really about? It's not about you. The book is about God. This book is about God. I mean, yeah, there's, there's little tools in here to help you with your problems, but the primary purpose of this book is about Him, the revelation about who God is. And once you begin to delve in a little deeper and you begin to read and understand, well, as, as Timothy says, the Scripture is God-breathed and it is useful, meaning that this thing is alive. If you're reading it the right way, not only, not only will you discover who God is, 
you will also learn that he is speaking to you. It's about God, but it's also God's mouthpiece into your soul. So practically, how do you, how do you read it? I don't know. Like, yeah, mine's kind of big and, you know, religious looking. It says Oxford on it. <laughs> Very impressive. And you might be getting into it. You hit Deuteronomy, and you're like, man, I'm done. Like, what in the world's going on with this thing? So we live in the most incredible, we live in an amazing time. We have this thing called the internet and a great application called Bible Gateway. You want to study God, and again, this might be a little difficult. Like, this is, this, they've, they put this on the internet. And you could read it chronologically if, you know, from cover to cover is too daunting. You could read it thematically. You can read a little section in the Old Testament, a little section in the New Testament along your yearly reading path that makes it a little easier to understand. In time, you'll understand the whole themes. And again, you're going to get to know God on a deeper level, the Godhead. Like, there's a million armchair theologians on YouTube right now that would love to tell you everything that they know about God. You could get your PhD in theology for free right now if you wanted to. It's amazing the amount of opportunity that we have to get to know God better. I would say the best way to get to know God and His Word is to do it with someone else. Be brave. Be courageous. Don't let this book part from your mouth. But get together with some guy friends and some gal friends and read the Scripture and tell them, this is what I think God is saying. What do you guys think? It really is that simple. It really is, and, and it really is that powerful. God is faithful to communicate to us in his word. All right, Landon, why don't you come on up? So, the big idea is to get to know God through Scripture. It is our, literally, it is our primary source from God. And you have to have the information, and you also have to have the experience. But it all starts with your book. It all starts with your Scriptures. In closing with this, at times we want a religious experience, but we don't want to study God. At times we want God's blessings, we just don't want His character. At times we want God's power in our life, but we just don't understand Him enough to fear Him. Heavenly Father, we ask that your word will become living and breathing and active in our lives. We humbly come before you 
as students of God. To know you better, to know your character, to know your traits, to know your will, to see your actions. God, forgive us for being in it for what we can get out of it. Instead, teach us how to be in it, not for what we can get out of it, but we can be in it just to get to know you. God, may we go after you instead of just going after your stuff. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we invite you into every aspect and dimension and cavern and crevice in our lives. We want to worship you not just on Sunday. We want to worship you every day. Whatever we put our hands to, it's an act of worship. I thank you, Lord, for El Shaddai and El Roy and Jehovah Jireh, God, my healer, God, my provider, God, my source, God, my power. I, God, I thank you that you are intimately connected to, to who we are and what we need. But today, may we know Yahweh. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve. your elements. We're going to receive communion now. If you're watching online, just get whatever you can. It doesn't have to be wine or a cracker. God can use what's in your hand. Word of God says about this communion, these elements, 1 Corinthians 11:27 Therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord A man/woman ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, 
eats and drinks judgment upon themselves. That is why many among you are weak. Many among you are sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not become condemned with the world. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, we got to take this thing seriously with reverence. Because I know with my thoughts and my actions, I have offended a holy God. And I don't want to do this without first recognizing what I have done and without doing business with God. I don't want you to do it either, the drinking judgment upon yourselves. So just take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to come in to your soul and He will address your emotions and negative thoughts that have offended a holy God. He will address past actions that you have not asked for forgiveness for yet. He will show you what discipline you need in your life. So not self-help Christianity this morning, is it? Kind of feels good, doesn't it? Doesn't feel like a big fat lie. It feels like truth. The body of Christ was broken for your provision. This is this is your L. This is your God. He is, again, your God, your provider, God, your healer, God, your everything, God most high. And he is inviting us in to partake of his goodness and his body. And he says this about himself. He says this about his word. You taste and you see that I am good. Receive the body of Christ and know in your spirit that he is good. Without the shedding of innocent blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Sin is basically an offense to a holy God. We've all done it. We're all going to do it again. So that is why we drink of this cup for the forgiveness of our sins. It's such a good drink. It's so cleansing. It is. There's freedom in the cup. Freedom from sin. And yes, even freedom from death. You drink this cup. Not only will you live forever, if you are a student of God, you will get better and better and better until you go and be with the Lord. That's his promise to you.
receive this cup for the forgiveness of your sins. So may the Lord bless you. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon your life. May he show you his grace each and every day. May he turn towards you in your times of distress and trouble when you need a healing God and a delivering God and a breakthrough God. May he fill your homes with this presence of peace and joy. He is faithful and he is good and he wants you to know him better and he wants to know you better. How well does God know you? God bless you guys. Have an incredible week. See you soon.